please note that today's topic may contain elements that some listeners could find disturbing, so listener caution is advised. Now, in the last episode, two weeks ago, I was happy to welcome a special guest to the show, Rachel. But after overwhelming feedback since that episode launched, I'm happy to say that Rachel will no longer be a special guest anymore. She agreed to become a regular co-host, which I'm really happy about. I'm happier than a happy man's happy bit. So, welcome, Rachel. You're obviously a glutton for punishment. What made you want to come back and do this regularly? Well, I had a lot of fun um, when we recorded the first session, and your listeners seemed to enjoy it too. So, I thought, why not? And also, something I didn't mention um, first time around was that this was actually um one of my items on my bucket list so I feel like that I've achieved something not only in taking that off but now I've become a regular feature um and you're probably gonna edit this out but we've already recorded this once but you didn't click record um but yeah I'm pretty sure that um that it it will be interesting to um to record our third podcast even though it's the third recording but the second session yeah so as as Rachel alluded to I'll leave that in because um we've we've just spent an hour recording (laughs) and um when I went to press stop press a button to stop recording I realized that I'd forgot to press a button to start recording so Rachel I'm glad that you've managed to tick something off on your bucket list and now it's a multi-faceted bucket so so win-win yeah. So before we get started with today's story again, um I'd like you to I'd like to appeal to everyone. If you like this show, please do give us a rating and subscription wherever you listen to it and come back and give us a follow on whatever social media you use. We can be found on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at SceNePod, that's at S-C-E-N-E-P-O-D, or on Facebook by searching for Picture the Scene Podcast. And we even have a Facebook discussion group of the same name. However, I've been talking to myself for the last few weeks. So please do come and join and keep me company. Why don't you? And I don't buy it. And, well, we don't buy it. Do you, Rachel? No, no. But um, I'm also just going to add in my joke for a second time here. That um, given that it's Halloween, um, you know, we could all um, do a vampire themed podcast and uh, find out who does bite but we could yes we could i'll see if i can find some true crime related to vampires however (laughs) um, at least this means that we don't have to talk about twilight for as long as we did last time (laughs) so um so that's a good one isn't it so um so i don't want to turn people away so let's get on to the today's story if it's safe for you to do so i'd like all of you listening to relax close your eyes and picture the scene it's early Friday evening in April 2012. It's Friday the 13th to be exact. We're in San Diego County, which is on the Pacific Coast, on the United States in the state of California. Specifically, we're in the town of Fallbrook, which at the time had just over 30,000 residents and is known for its avocados and clams, gaining the unofficial title of the avocado capital of the world. The weather is around 53 degrees Fahrenheit or 12 degrees centigrade with a one to four mile per hour southwesterly breeze blowing down and out towards the sea. The temperature is a little lower than expected at the time of the day and year, so you'd probably feel that breeze more than normal if you were a resident of the city. And if you were, you'd be reaching for something long-sleeved, 
maybe you'd be suffering an involuntary shiver catching you off guard on occasion. Or as my mum would always say, someone would be walking over the, over your grave. So mm. can you picture the scene? It's times like this that I love. I like the extra bite in the air. I like having a bit of chill, being able to appreciate the warmth when you do get it. I imagine, Rachel, and I'm imagining this twice now, that you was about 12, <laughs> that you was about 12 or something back in 2012. Um, but I know exactly what I would have been doing on this evening because this was the night before the Grand National, which used to be my busiest working day of the year. So I'd have been getting ready for an early night on this particular night. Can you remember what you were doing nine years back, Rachel? I can actually. And um, when I read through the script, it took me a little while to picture the scene and remember what it was I was doing nine years ago, but I got there eventually, I'm pleased to say. Um, but I wasn't 12, um, un unlucky for me. I was actually 20, oh God, here we go, a bit of fast math. 27 I think um yeah um and I was getting ready to get married um and I remember the build-up to my wedding um and at in that April I was actually in Vegas with the girls for a hen party uh so I was living at large but I uh, I bet you weren't expecting that response no I wasn't expecting that response uh, when I was 27 the world is in black and white so that means that on, <laughs> in April um in 2012, you was in Vegas, which my geography isn't great, but that's only a couple of hours away, I believe, from San Diego. So you would have been a couple of hours away from where this actually happened. That's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, and do you know what? Annoyingly, um, because I was on my hen party, I probably wouldn't have been sat watching American news the way that I usually am when I travel to the States because I'm obsessed with America. Um, and I, I, I love all things about America. Um, but, yeah, I was dragged up and down the... Um, Vegas Strip most days and nights so uh, so yeah I probably this case probably would have been reported whilst I was there even though the dates didn't overlap it, they were only a couple of weeks apart um, that I'd have been there so yeah. You, you imagine so yeah I, I didn't know you was obsessed I've only been I've only been to the States once but it sounds like you've you've been there too many times maybe they should uh, go oh it's a, I don't think you can yeah I don't think you can go too many times like I I'd yeah, I don't know. I was just destined, I reckon, to live in America. One day, maybe. It, it's a wonderful country. Um, so, where am I? So, Brittany Kilgore was 22 years old. She was from Missouri and had married Corey back in 2010. And she lives a short walk away from the Marine base, Camp Pendleton. And that is because her husband was a Marine who was serving in Afghanistan. Now, I just want to throw this out there straight away. We always think it's the husband. He was actually in Afghanistan when this happened, so it definitely wasn't him. Now, just three days earlier, on April the 10th, she had filed papers for divorce from Corey, citing irreconcilable differences. See, first time, Rachel. Um, <laughs> because of that, she was packing her things up, getting ready to move, and start a new chapter in her life. So now, would he have I... known, sorry to interrupt, would he have known that she was filing for divorce? Um... I don't know because I don't know how. Yeah. I don't know because yeah. Yeah, when they're when they're on tour, like sometimes they just don't have any contact, do they? So this whole thing could have gone on. He kind of comes back. I mean, I won't won't spoil too much, but he kind of comes back to 
all of the information, not just, oh, by the way, here's your divorce papers, but also here's what's happened. But he, he was contacted. I mean, I'm not going to... It's it's no surprise. I mentioned Britney Kilgore straight away. She obviously is a victim here. But, um, it you know, they had to contact him because they wanted to make sure it wasn't him that did it. So they contacted him to find oh. out where he was. And he was like, well, I wasn't in the country, which <laughs> is a pretty good um, alibi. Yeah, alibi, yeah. Okay. You'd, think, you'd think if you file paper, papers for divorce for irreconcilable differences, I'm just going to say that word all the time now, um, she, um, they would have had conversation and had an irreconcilable difference for not being able to stay together. You'd yeah. think so. Well, who knows? Um, when I was looking into this, it was hard to find lots about Britney. The website NBC San Diego referenced a blog that no longer exists, and they also referenced a MySpace page, which MySpace is dead, isn't it now? Um, it <laughs> yeah, was, that's a flash from the past. Yeah, which she, she talks about having depression at a younger age and having to take the medication Lexipro uh, stopped when it wasn't having any difference on her. And she spoke about most things teenagers talk about, traveling the world, having insecurities, getting married and having kids. But also that she would worry that so many people got divorced. Now, I was able, however, to find her live journal. And I'll put the link of that in the show notes. And in that, she was, she wrote that when she was about 16 or 17. And she talks about her love of art, how she wants to travel to Egypt, her love of music, how she loved reading and she loved cupcakes. Oh, I know. And how easily she could be won over with a crude joke or two. <sighs> and she mentioned how she loves books on human behavior. Now, when I saw that, I was wondering what she would think about the behavior that we're about to talk about. And it's fascinating. And you wonder, I wonder what her take would be on it. Unfortunately, we'll never be able to know. So, she also talks about how when she's an old woman, she wants to be that strange old woman that people think is a little bit off, but it's sweet anyway, and a wonderful grandmother. Uh, now, sadly for Brittany, her blog was called 13, My Favourite Number, and the last day she'd be seen alive would be that Friday in April, Friday the 13th. And four days later, on April the 17th, her naked, mutilated body would be found dumped near Lake Skinner in Riverside County, California. So, have you heard of this? Uh, no. Or Rachel? No, not heard of this, but this is exactly why I love these podcasts because I think quite often you're driven to like watching or listening to true crime about these cases that have kind of been over, um, over talked about. But, you know, you're telling me this story tonight and, you know, I'm able to. Um, listen to something that you know I haven't haven't heard about before. So looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, thank you. So on that Friday, Brittany was packing her stuff away with her friend Chani Tao and was getting ready to move back to her parents' home. I imagine that she was probably thinking about her future, what was to come, and what had happened before when someone she knew, but not necessarily was friends with, uh, Luis Perez, who was forty-five, called on her to see how she was doing and invite her out for a dinner cruise in the harbour. Now, we don't know a state of mind at the time, and any place that tells you that they do is simply speculating. But what we do know is that even though all this turmoil 
was going on in her life, she had the clarity of mind to say no, and she didn't know him well. But she agreed to take his number and gave her her number to him. And a few minutes later, so a few minutes later after he had left, he texted Brittany, telling her that if she went with him, he'd get some friends to help her move the next day. So what would you do, Rachel? Would you would you have accepted that straight away? Or... I mean, it so- sounds like he's having to like bribe her into going for a dinner cruise. And I just feel like if I were friends with him and maybe his partner as well, you know, I might I might like stand in for as a as a dinner date, um, purely on a friendship basis, obviously, but kind of like to help. Uh, you know, if the, if the table's already been paid for or if it's like a work event or something, yeah, sure, I think I could justify that. But if I barely knew the guy and also his other half was like, let's face it, I'm going to use the word, sounds a bit of a psycho. <laughs> like, you know, she's got beef with, with Brittany and she doesn't really even know her. Then I wouldn't even dream of going on this on this um dinner date and in fact I'd probably be the kind of person that would be texting the partner and saying FYI your boyfriend's a whopper yes that's a great word um yeah <laughs> I, I just realized as well while you were talking then that he was double her age um yeah I mean I, I difference there's nothing wrong with an age difference I'm 14 no. years older than my wife but um but it's a little bit odd if you don't know the person to suddenly turn up when you're when you're that age. It's probably the same age as a father. So yeah, and that that's the thing. Like actually, if you unpick this case, that is quite a big age difference considering she is so young. And like you know, fourteen years doesn't sound a lot now. But if you'd have started dating your wife when she was like you know young, which this girl is. Um, and impressionable living on her own barely knows the guy who has got a girlfriend too the whole thing just screams inappropriate i get what you're saying i'm gonna cut this out but i met my wife when she was 19 oh sorry andrew <laughs> yeah but yeah but you wouldn't have had a girlfriend at the time right no no i didn't have a girlfriend now yeah and you also wouldn't have turned upon a door step and said i'll take you on a date and if i do you no, if you go with me, I'll pay I'll pay you back with a favour that you've asked for. No, exactly. Actually on the second <laughs> day. On the, the second day we uh it was to go and meet her parents, so it was very old fashioned. Oh lovely. Yes, please cut this out though. I feel bad. No, that, that's fine, don't worry. Um so a dinner cruise and then the offer of help to move would have been tempting to anyone. But Brittany still had her doubts. She knew that Lewis was in a relationship with a woman called Dorothy. And Brittany had previously told her friends how she felt Dorothy didn't like her. So she didn't want to upset her and didn't think Perez's girlfriend would like it going out on what was essentially a date with a boyfriend. And, and, and as you said, you 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 said that rightly so. You, it, it's a strange thing to even do. So I know I wouldn't like it if my wife was telling me that she was out with another man, even though I trust her fully. And so I guess you'd be the same from a female perspective. If your if your partner came and said to you, I'm off out with Jane from down the road, you probably wouldn't be yeah. too happy. Yeah, I just think it would still like 
irrespective of that, I just think it'd be really strange because she barely knew him. Like, yeah, and you know, yeah, it's it's to me, it's just it's an odd one. Um, and I definitely would be texting the girlfriend to validate, but still feeling very cautious about the whole situation. Definitely. So, Brittany's initial reaction would very understandable. She explained all of that to Perez via text. And Perez responded, telling her that she was wrong, that Dorothy did like her. And in fact, it was her idea for him to take Brittany out for the evening because he'd originally planned to go with his girlfriend, Dorothy, but she was pregnant and she'd get seasick on a boat. So it was her idea for him to take Brittany out because she wanted him to still have fun, even though she couldn't go. And so that would you, would that make a difference mm. if you thought, okay, well, his girlfriend wants him to go with me? Well, I, like I'm an overthinker, big time, and I'd be sat there thinking, what are we going to talk about? Like, I barely know this guy. I'm going to go on a dinner date with him. His girlfriend's sound with it, but what will other people think? And all of these things would just be flying through my head. Like, yeah, if we were friends you could just quite happily go out with your mate and talk and not worry about other people passing comment because it's sound because you mates, but I'd, yeah, it'd be building up big time in my head. I'd just much rather spend the night in, glass of wine, pizza, sorted. Yeah, I agree. Um, so Perez didn't want to seem like he was making this up. So he gave Brittany Dorothy's telephone number and he told her to check what he was saying was the truth. Now, Brittany's friend, Jenny, who I mentioned earlier, who had been helping her, her out, overheard a conversation Brittany had with Dorothy. And Dorothy told Brittany that it was fine, that it was her idea, that she should go. And she would regret moving back to Missouri without ever, ever having experienced it. So it sounds like it sounds like there was a hard fail going on here. Would you agree, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, now, Brittany, so after speaking to Dorothy, Brittany actually agreed to go with Lewis for the dinner cruise. She was, however, not a stupid woman. So she did what is always recommended. She sent several messages to several friends telling them her plans, where mm -hmm. she was going, and also including Dorothy and Lewis's telephone numbers. So that, that was a pretty sensible thing to do, especially nine years ago. Would you agree? I do think it is sensible. However, I just feel like it's still a bit strange and that she's obviously going to extreme lengths to, like, justify what's what's happening, you know, telling all of her friends this is where I am, this is who I'm going to be with. Um, here's the details. Like, you know, just in case anything happens, I don't know, to me it just feels like there's a lot of caution and she's almost pressuring herself into it. But yeah. I, I, I was just going to say, I'm going to stop going on about that and agree with you completely that it's absolutely the right and sensible approach to, to take, especially knowing what we know now in this day and age, especially with everything around that Sarah Everard case. Like there's almost um, a degree of like caution that you just got to apply to those kind of situations because scary world out there, isn't it? It's a very scary ride out there, and 
Yeah, I agree. I think probably what, what helped sway her mind was the idea of getting some help the next day to move. Because mm, if yeah. she'd have been a single woman by herself, the idea of a group of men turning up, not that I'm being chauvinistic here, but obviously uh, it would have helped her a lot with moving heavy boxes. No. Yes. Perez left. And we left a conversation after agreeing to pick her up at 7.30 p.m. Now, we know he did pick her up because at 7.37 p.m., CCTV showed Brittany getting into Lewis's car wearing a purple evening gown with sequins on. So she'd obviously made a, a really big effort. She'd actually bought a dress from a friend and she was expecting a good night out. Maybe she thought, maybe she talked herself into it and thought, well, I'm going to have a, a really good night out here, so I'll get dressed yeah. up a little bit. Yeah, like it's my last weekend here. I'm just gonna go, go a bit nuts, and then I'll, I'm gonna go and move in with my parents. Like, yeah, exactly. But and she's but, 22. Like, she's 22. Why not? Indeed. Um, now, 13 minutes later. Now, I just want to mention this because it'll be coined out to a few people. That 13, the number keeps coming up. I'm mm. sure it's a coincidence, and I don't hold merit in any such things. But it's a little bit odd for those of you out there that. I think it may be that the number 13 keeps coming up in this story. So 13 minutes later, at 7.50pm, Brittany sends a message to her friend, Jenny, and it only contains one word. And can you guess what that word is, Rachel? I don't know. You know what it is already, but can well, you guess <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we recorded once before. Um, I'm just going to go... So my gut would have told me that that one word would have been fuck or psycho kind of thing but I know what word it is so I'm gonna let you disclose it however what I will say is that it gave me chills because it is just one word and you know I just dread to think what was going for her head when she sent it but yeah you you go ahead okay so that what that one word was help and so quite understandably immediately her friend was concerned and Chani was trying to call her several times and was sending her messages telling her, telling Brittany to call her back. Now, I think we have to put this into a little bit of context here. Knowing we love true crime and our listeners love true crime uh, we th- and we think more important nowadays, I think we'd safely say that if a friend of ours sent a message like that and we couldn't confirm she was okay, we'd probably contact the police. Although I did put a caveat in this and I'll still put it in. I am very British, so I'd probably think, well, I don't want to get upset with me if I'm wrong, so maybe I would, it would take me some time to consider that, but would you contact the police if you received this, Rachel? Yes, because, right, just to justify my actions, I would call the police because she'd gone to the lengths of texting me and telling me this is where she was going to be, this is what I'm doing, and just in case anything happens, that build-up would be in my head. However, I have the benefit of knowing what happens. And also, in hindsight, I think a lot of things that you would do are quite easily said um, and not done. So, um, yeah, I can also see being British, and I know we mentioned this the first time around, there's the element of not wanting to cause a scene <laughs> or anything like that as well so it's a tricky one it's a tricky one um now at 10 past eight 
So 20 minutes later, which is not a huge amount of time if you think about it from me, from receiving a text message, Britney texts back saying, yes, I love this party. Now it's been widely reported that Chani knew something was wrong because Britney never used the word yes. She always used the word yeah. Obviously, now this is just my opinion, but I'm slightly skeptical on this one. I think it might be a little bit of hindsight talking. I'm not sure you notice that straight away. Especially if you're in a little bit of a panic and you're worried about your friend. But, yeah, yeah I, I don't think that would... I think that's just thinking about it after the fact and, and telling the news of this. But anyway, regardless, Chani replied demanding that Brittany call her back so she could hear her voice to know that she was okay. And she did receive two very short phone calls, but she couldn't make anything out. And so then she got a text following those from Britney saying that the music was too loud and that she couldn't talk. So I just realized I say so, so many times. By now, Chani had realized, by now Chani had reached out to several of Britney's friends and they were all messaging her and trying to call her, but with no luck. And at 8.30 p.m., Chani messaged again, demanding that she call back immediately. And he didn't. And as the night progressed, all of Britney's friends were getting, were getting increasingly worried. They were receiving texts from Britney, but they were suspicious. And I guess that must be the reason they didn't contact the police because while they were suspicious, they potentially didn't want to get it wrong and have the police turn up and ruin Britney's night. And again, I don't know what I'd do in that situation. If I was still getting text messages, I probably would leave it and probably get maybe get a little bit annoyed with my friend for putting me in that situation. What about you, Rachel? I agree with you because um, if you were if you went to that extreme and it was over nothing, um, because bearing in mind the operator on the nine 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 or nine one one call will have said, "Oh, so you, you're concerned because your your friend's got missing." And like, well, no, somebody is texting me back. And then they're almost like, right, so you're worried about the tone of the text messages. And, if you know, if you just play it out like that, it sounds quite pathetic. And I'm, I'm not for one minute saying, like, again, I'll emphasise in this day and age, I think that these phone operators would take anything as, you know, a cause for concern because knowing what we know about recent cases as well, um, they they just wouldn't want to be um, wouldn't want to hold up a investigation or anything like that. But you know, maybe back then it would have been a little bit like, yeah. I'll tell you what, call us when you haven't heard from her for forty eight hours. Yeah, I think I think you may be spot on the money there. Uh, by ten past ten that evening, Chani didn't want to risk it anymore. She messaged Brittany saying that if she didn't receive a voice call from her, she'd phone the police. And Brittany responded with a voice call, no with a message saying, I'm okay. Now, Chani didn't call the police then. And I think actually at that point I would have, if I had given a, a last ultimatum and it had been ignored, mm-hmm. but responded to, I would have followed through. Even if it meant the police didn't do anything, at least it would have been for my own peace of mind. But the next morning, Chani and another friend, Elizabeth Hernandez, went to Brittany's apartment and they found it empty. So that's when they did contact the local sheriff's department and a deputy was dispatched and they explained their concerns for Brittany. 
and where she had gone and they gave the deputy Perez's phone number and told the deputy that he was the last person who had seen Brittany alive. So at this point, it seems pretty straightforward, would you say, Rachel? Mm, yep. Yeah, I do. Grand. So I want to think I probably mentioned before Brittany's two friends went to her apartment to search for her. Mm-hmm. Her friend Hernandez confronted Dorothy, saying that she knew she had spoken to Brittany. And the reason she did this was because the previous night when Hernandez was worried about Brittany, she'd contacted Dorothy and been told that she hadn't spoken to Brittany at all, which was an obvious lie because we know that she did speak to Brittany. And when she called Dorothy in the morning to confront her, Dorothy actually just passed the phone to Lewis. And he changed his story a few times I was on the phone with Elizabeth about what happened the previous night. Now that obviously rings huge alarm bells to me. Would it to you? I think so. Absolutely. And now I think there's like a bit of a picture starting to build that, yeah, some, something's definitely gone awry. And I think her friends have reacted. I, again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? But pretty poorly and piecing it all together and involving the cops. But Obviously, Louis was contacted by the police as you'd expect him to be. And surprisingly, though, given he would be the number one suspect because he was the last person to see her, he agreed to go to Brittany's apartment to talk to the police to answer questions. So the question I have to ask is, was this the act of an innocent man or was this the act of a confident but guilty man? What would, what would you say? What was your initial thoughts when you saw this? You know what? My initial thoughts were, well, he's innocent because you'd have to be an idiot to just volunteer and eat even innocent people yeah in true crime podcasts and documentaries even innocent people get their backs up when the police come knocking you know that they they look like they're hiding something but they're not they're just not that forthcoming with the police yeah exactly now lewis he told detectives that britney was flirty that she was flighty Again, I still don't know what flighty means. <laughs> and that she had been drinking, which something her friends disagreed with. They said that wasn't like Brittany at all. And Lewis claimed that he had left Brittany downtown at a club that night, the night before, and she had texted him, I'm okay. Now, the deputy was suspicious when he did not find that text message on Lewis's phone. He also found it strange that Lewis's car was caked with fresh mud given the heavy rains the night before. If he had just been downtown and home again, there shouldn't be mud on his car because it would have washed off. But Perez Perez actually agreed to provide a voluntary statement at the sheriff's department. Of course he he did. Yeah, and he was (laughs) transported there. So again, um, possibly he was innocent, and he may well be innocent. Don't assume he's guilty. But while, (laughs) while he was at the police station, he gave consent for the police to search his car. And it's a surprising act if he's guilty. But <laughs> he, he did give consent. And while the police didn't find anything initially, initially related to Brittany, they did find an AR-15 assault rifle. And at the time, assault rifles were banned under state law. So he was immediately arrested, remanded in jail, and with the judge setting a bail amount of half a million dollars. So that, to me, screams that, there's a third option here. He could be innocent. He could be guilty but confident. 
or it could just be extremely stupid. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I guess, why would you? I don't, I've, I think I'll never understand why the police can't look in your car unless you say yes. And he knew he had a machine gun in there. So why would you say, yeah, go ahead and have a look at my car? Uh, yeah, I just think he's a bit of an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite possibly. But later on that afternoon, a homeless person had found Britney's phone and handed it into the police. And so now they had access to her messages and call data. And I, I didn't mention this the first time around, but I'll mention it now because we've got some of them because we, ne- we never spoke about Twilight. Um, so he actually found this when he woke up and the phone was at his feet when he woke up in the street because obviously he's homeless. Now, again, that, that goes to show that maybe he's not the most intelligent person because if he had a phone and he dumped it, you think you wouldn't probably just chuck it towards where a homeless man's sleeping, would you? No. You'd throw it in a bin. Yeah. Or or anywhere apart from where there's an actual person that could pick it up straight away. Because what the homeless person did, the first thing he did when he saw the phone was he started folding the contacts on the phone. Oh, my goodness. And, and, and he got her friends, and they told her to him, take it straight to the police station. So that's how the police got. That's why he took it in. But yeah, it's uh, it's an odd one. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play it out then with this new information, and so, I won't spoil anything. But I will ask the question on whether this was something act, whatever act it was. You'll go into it that's gone wrong because the series of events here. I just feel like. This man's almost thinking, whatever happens to me, I can't be blamed because, you know, it's not my fault. <laughs> like, do you, you know, do you, does that make sense? No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I totally don't agree with you. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Let's see what the our, our listeners think. So, yeah. I want to leave Louise to one side for a moment and I want to revisit Dorothy, who was, if you remember, Louise's partner. And, if you remember, Rach, she was fully aware that Brittany was with Lewis because not only did she give her consent, she also encouraged Brittany to go with him. So this isn't a woman who knew nothing. She knew that she was with Lewis. And if you remember, Brittany was under the impression that Dorothy didn't like her. And that was one of the reasons why she initially gave not to go with Lewis. Now, Dorothy, who, she was 36 at the time, so slightly younger than Lewis, and she more than disliked Brittany. It could be said that she had extreme hatred for her. <laughs> Further investigations by the police would reveal that whenever Brittany wasn't around, she'd refer to her as a disease or the herpes, and it was oh, felt yeah. that Brittany, and it was felt that Brittany was hated by Dorothy for two reasons. The first, that she believed Brittany was trying to steal Lewis from her, which is very incorrect, by the way. And the second reason, I want to come back to the second reason later on, but the picture that developed after Britney's death was one of obsession from Dorothy over Britney. So so now we have two players. So we have Lewis, who was 45, who was the last person to be seen with Britney, and he was arrested with an assault rifle, and he was now in jail, and now we have his partner, Dorothy, turned out to have a hatred for Britney. So the question I have to ask is, do we have a killer couple on our hands here, Rachel? 
Yeah, that's definitely what it's screaming to me. And I just feel like at the minute, purely because we've focused on Lewis, it's all like he he's on almost probably a bit of a victim as well. He could well be, yeah. Strange things have happened. So on the 15th and 16th of April, which is the next two days, Lewis has endorsed his home search and evidence that cleaning had been undertaken, which was possibly to hide the evidence, which obviously um, you would think, you'd think, yes, uh, if something happened to you, you'd want to hide the evidence. But I want to, now I've introduced Dorothy, if you want to leave Lewis and Dorothy to one side again for the moment. And I want to introduce you to a third person, Rachel. And that third person is Jessica Lopez. Now, Jessica Lopez was twenty was a 25-year-old woman who, I'll be honest, I couldn't find a huge amount of details on prior to this. And I didn't want to take gossip as fact. But what is fact is that she shared a home and lived with both Lewis and Dorothy. So the oldest together. Now, a few papers, and including the very consistently crap Daily Mail, which I, I, I really can't stand, they were a bit sensational, and they described a relationship between the three as a sex cult, but it wasn't. It seems a more accurate description was that of a polyamorous relationship. Now, polyamory, in a simple sense, is simply a relationship that has more than two people in it, meaning multiple of. So... I'm not sure love was happening in this situation now, but so what happened next? Well, Perez, he claimed that he had dropped Britney off at a nightclub in San Diego. And after he had found a car parking spot, which took him a while, he couldn't find her in the club. So he just went home, which, which is a pretty weak excuse yeah. if you ask me. And yeah, I'll, and I'm sure, I'm sure like CCTV would get him searching for a car parking space and things like that, wouldn't it? Oh, even in the club, you'd think so. It doesn't mention it, but you, yeah. you'd think so, yeah. Um, now, further investigations of Perez's car would uncover a stone gun, which initially didn't look like anything important because they're quite common in the States, but further oh examination... Of course they're common in the States. <laughs> but for further exam, We do love you, to our American listeners. I know, I know, sorry. Yeah, no, but it's just... Could you imagine being pulled over and he, in where we are and uh, the cops find a stun gun, it'd be like, you'd be, you'd be arrested, wouldn't you? No, I, I see what you're saying, but when I lived over in Asia, when I'd walk down the street on an evening, there'd be loads of street sellers trying to sell me some stun guns. So I guess in some no way. some countries it is quite common. But, but yeah, so fair investigation, they found a stun gun and further examination of that stone gun would show that it had Britney's DNA in it. And also that blood would be found in his car and that Britney's, uh, and that blood was Britney's. And that latex gloves in the car also had Britney's blood on them. And that was, so that links Britney to his car. It links that something had happened to her in his car, either pre or post death, because they had her blood in there. Now on the 17th of April, before they found Britney's body, they found Dorothy's truck, and that was in a hotel car park near the airport. After they had forced open the door of a room that was booked under Dorothy's name, they found a half-naked Jessica Lopez, who was bleeding from the neck in what was an apparent suicide attempt. 
Now, there's a few things here. Um, Dorothy's truck was in the car park. The room was in Dorothy's name. But the room had Jessica inside it with an apparent suicide attempt. Does that say anything to you, Rachel? I mean, initially, if you're going to kill yourself, you don't... I mean, might be speaking a bit out of turn here. I don't think you'd choose to slit your own neck. Because, like, Mm -hmm. so much risk involved in how and where you would cut. And I don't know. I don't know. That, to me, just screams that she perhaps wasn't in control of that situation there. I don't know. But maybe I've just turned towards thinking that Dorothy's a psycho <laughs> maybe she is a psycho and I agree <laughs> with you it's well it, it probably has happened you wouldn't imagine it be the the first option for people no. who want to try and kill themselves but in the room in the hotel room three copies of a handwritten seven page confession slash suicide letter by Jessica was found and they actually had a sign above the um the three copies because they're all together we said pigs read this she obviously had a lot for the police as well didn't she Um, in the letter jessica described britney as a miserable cunt who had tried to become come between lewis and dorothy you know jessica took complete responsibility for britney's death saying sherry said arrested now i'm gonna she had put this in capital letters because that's what people do nowadays when they want to say something loud, uh, <laughs> that they arrested the wrong fucking person in Lewis. Uh, she's made me swear twice, so I don't like it. <laughs> so I, I'm not fond of swearing nowadays. But, um, but yeah, so she described Brittany as someone very miserable. Um, and I'm not going to say that word, but yes, I know it made you giggle. So, um, so... She then claimed that she alone had grabbed Brittany and she had slammed the body of Brittany into the stairs at her home. At her home. And she had restrained Brittany on her wrists, on her ankles and mouth, subduing her with a taser. And remember, there was a taser found, a stun gun in, mm-hmm. in Lewis's car and she had wrapped rope around her neck to apply and release pressure. And after she had died, she attempted to hack up the body with power tools, covering the body with bleach in an attempt to cover up evidence before eventually dumping the body near Lake Skinner. The letter described injuries that would likely be found on Britney's body, including linkature marks around her neck and wrist, a taser mark near her neck, and bruising and mutilation marks. Lopez expressed her love to Dorothy as her slave and pet, and the police found a dog collar in the room marking Jessica as property of Miss D, who Miss D was Dorothy. And as I mentioned earlier, there were three copies of the confession letter in the hotel room. One addressed to Master Ivan, and Louis liked to be called Ivan. Why, who knows? Um, Another to my parents, and a third to a local media station. Now, why would you want to write to a media station if you're going to kill yourself? I know. Well, yeah, but... It's it's all just getting a bit nuts now, isn't it? Like yeah. with the pet and the name, and I, it's completely fucked up. And like I, I think the police have got a difficult task ahead of them because you've got 
three people each with motive and different reasons and purpose behind this poor woman's death and all clearly um kind of intertwined in some weird fucking relationship <laughs> sorry yeah. for swearing you've got me you've i'm now swearing because of your potty mouth no i know you like to swear or don't <laughs> but uh, but you're right and surveillance video at the hotel showed the hotel relationship making copies of the suicide letter for jessica the previous night and they also knew from that surveillance video that dorothy was still in the hotel when jessica had the letter copied and she only departed San Diego on the morning of the 17th to visit family in Virginia. Um, and I just want to give a shout out to, we've got lots of listeners in Virginia for some reason. I want to go visit there now. But um, okay. so, yes, uh, Jessica was still in the hotel room uh, when she had the letter copied and Dorothy was still there too. And Dorothy left for Virginia only on the morning that they found Jessica. Now, after this, the police found Jessica, they took her to the hospital and she was arrested as soon as she stabilized. So, hi, you're still alive, and hi, you're under arrest. That was <laughs> um, as you as you guessed, while they were in a poly relationship, the three suspects, it was also a BDSM relationship with Louis liking to be called liking to be called Ivan and the master and Dorothy the mistress and submissive Dorothy was submissive to Lewis but Jessica was Dorothy's slave which meant she would also have to do what Lewis wanted because he was a master of Dorothy um it's all very complicated I it sounds it it sounds like yeah who, who's doing what again yeah and actually at one point if you want to look at this in your time Dorothy had more than one slave, so that would have been oh, even more complicated, yes. Definitely not going to Google that. Yes, don't. Um, <laughs> not at work, anyway. So no. the second <laughs> the second reason that I mentioned earlier that I never actually spoke about that had been touted why Dorothy hated Brittany was that she had refused to join their BDSM relationship. Now, I want to say here that there is no evidence whatsoever to back this up. It's true that Brittany knew about their type of relationship, the three of them, because lots of people did, because they didn't hide it. But there is no evidence that she was ever approached or rejected joining them. Now, I wanted I just, to... Sorry. Yep. No, I was just going to say, that makes me really sad because the parents who are left behind without their daughter are now having to contend with vicious rumours that haven't been corroborated. Like, just doesn't sit right. Exactly. That's why I wanted to mention it, because it was reported in the news quite often that, that that was what happened, and it just wasn't true. And the parents actually had to come out and say, our daughter wasn't like this. Stop telling lies. Which I just yeah. I just don't think any parents should have to do that. No. They're no. grieving. Like. Yeah, it's terrible. Based on the letter that Jessica wrote, the police concentrated on searching the Lake Skinner area for Brittany all well for her body and later that afternoon they found her naked body about a mile away from the lake now again unless i feel it is essential to the story i'll never go into the injuries a victim had 
or what was done to their bodies. But if you, it can be read about if you so wish. And I'll leave a couple of links in the show notes if you want to read about it. Now, on the 19th of April, the police searched the office home again among the various implements uh, that did end up to be turned out to be used on Brittany and BDSM equipment. They also found a release of liability form in which Dorothy stated she voluntarily engaged with Lois in BDSM activities, including whipping, beating, and asphyxia, and that she relieved Lewis of injuries or loss of life that may result. <laughs> so that's a that's a romantic thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, like definitely takes the it's like the twenty first century prenup, isn't yeah. it? Like yeah. oh by the way, just before we get together, can you just sign this that basically means that if I ever do anything a bit too extreme to you, I can't be done for murder. Yeah. Yeah, love you. That's it. Don't, don't worry, love. I, I still love you, even if I kill you. Um, yeah. So they also discovered fantasy stories that was written by Jessica and Dorothy, which described various kidnap, rape, and torture stories, including one that was very close to what happened to Brittany. They also discovered a video of a woman who was started off in a consensual BDSM act with Lewis, but as he started beating her harder, she begged him to stop, which he didn't. And he eventually knocked her unconscious, and he continued to beat her after she had fallen unconscious. So that goes to show that some BDSM relationships, I don't have much experience of, I don't have any experience of them, actually, <laughs> but um, I assume that they, they have safe words, don't they, and people stop. But this doesn't sound like Lewis had or cared about a safe word. No. Because um, he obviously just like hurting people. Now, Lewis, Dorothy and Jessica were subsequently arrested and went to trial. All three of them were found to be guilty of murder, kidnapping, torture and sexual battery charges. And they were given life in prison with no possibility of parole. It was later determined that Brittany was kidnapped beaten and tortured in a BDSM non-consensual activity and then killed by the three of them. Uh, all three of them in the trial blamed each other, but there was inconsistencies were found in all the statements. So again, it was found that she was in a non-consensual, it was non-consensual activity. This wasn't something that Brittany wanted. Um, the impact statements were read out in court from Brittany's family with a nine-year-old brother stating that the last time he saw Brittany, she promised to help him with a video game he was stuck on, and that he often thinks of his sister. And he was quoted as saying, I love my sister, and I miss her very much. I want her back. The people that hurt Brittany are bad, and I hope they stay in prison forever. Brittany's father spoke about how the family had been looking forward to seeing her on the 15th of April, and he spoke about the final memories of his daughter, and this is what he has to say. A few weeks later, we walked into a funeral home to see a metal shipping casket screwed shut so that it could not be opened. After the trial, we all know why we could not view our beautiful Brittany, the statement said. Many events imprinted in our memory about our loss, but repeatedly hugging a cold metal casket while trying to understand what was happening will forever be imprinted in my memory. What I feel as a victim cannot be compared to the real victim, my daughter Brittany. Her life was violently and senselessly taken in her prime. I am a father, and as such, 
I'm supposed to protect her, but I failed her. I struggle every day, trying not to think of what she felt. What was she thinking? Was she in pain? Was she praying so that she would be helped? When will it end? The statement continued. If I do think about this, I know I cannot mentally survive. I am trapped. Now, in her journal, which I said I'll link, the live journal, Brittany as a teenager spoke about how she was close to her dad than her mother because they had the same sense of humour. Now, I really hope one day he'll remember more than just hugging a metal casket. He'll remember what she described, how she had the same sense of humour and they shared laughter together because that memory that he described, that's a horrible thing to think about, would you say, Rachel? Yeah, I definitely agree. And, like, the that whole saying that no parents have to bury their child is already sad enough, but to not get to properly say goodbye or to have to live through a trial and understand why you can't properly say goodbye to your child is just a different level. I, I agree fully. I, I hope I never have to experience that. So, so I'd like you one last time to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. A young, smart, caring and sensitive woman getting ready to close the chapter on one part of her life and start a new one, but never being able to. Can you imagine that? So thank you everyone for listening and please do like and subscribe. Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining me and agreeing to join me on a regular basis. You are it's great to have you here and to, to co-host this with me. Great to be here. Thank you very much. And I'd just like to say that like that was a really tough one to read about and digest tonight. And you've been very respectful to um, the victim and the, the storytelling there. So it was a um, really, really nice to be a part of it. So thank you. No problem. And thank you, everyone. And God bless and goodbye.